everyone, and welcome to another episode of Do Good Well. My name is Victoria, and I'm going to pass it off to my guest for today's episode to please introduce yourself if you want to say a little bit about you, where you work, what you studied, are studying, and just anything else you'd like to include. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name is Francesca Beauvais. I'm the grants manager at the American Civic Association, which is a nonprofit organization here in Binghamton. I'm an alum of the Binghamton MPA program, and I'm also currently a PhD candidate in Binghamton University's Community Research and Action Program. So I moved to Binghamton thinking I'd only be here for two years, and here I am five years later. (laughs) So things just you can't always plan, but I'm happy to be here today. Well, thank you very much for being here. So you mentioned that you work at the American Pacific Association. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that place and just its mission as a nonprofit? Yeah, so the American Civic Association is a charitable nonprofit organization. We go by the ACA for short. We do joke that it gets confusing with the Affordable Care Act, but we were first. We were the first ACA, (laughs) so that's what we say. Um, We're a welcome center for new immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, any migrants who need assistance Mm -hmm. in Brook County or the majority of the Southern Tier. We serve pretty much the entire region. And we have a lot of services. So they range from doing federal immigration paperwork to help immigrants get new legal status. We do refugee resettlement. So we bring refugees to Broome County from um, different situations that they were living in abroad. That's in partnership with the International Rescue Committee. Um, On site, we have English as a second language classes. We do citizenship preparation classes. Um, And we just have a whole host of services, but our mission is really just to welcome new immigrants and refugees to the area and make sure that they feel supported and have everything they need to lead a new successful life here. Well, that's wonderful. So how did you find out about the American Civic Association and start working there? I actually had my eyes on the American Civic Association when I came to do my MPA degree. I had been um, volunteering previously when I was an undergraduate at a refugee resettlement agency. I was also doing my bachelor's at that time in international affairs in Spanish. And I knew that working with migrants was definitely the path that I saw myself following. But when I came for the MPA program, I did some volunteer work at the ACA Uh, but they weren't hiring. So in the second year of my program, I saw that they were looking for a grants manager. And at that time, I had no intention to ever do grant writing. I had never written a grant before, but I wanted to work at the organization so badly. And I was studying public administration. um, And I met with the executive director and I told them who I was how much I loved the organization, how I really wanted to be involved and that I was absolutely willing to do any work that needed to be done. And if that was grant writing, so be it. Um, And luckily, I everything timed out well, because as soon as I got the job, I started taking my nonprofit management classes for the MPA program and learned formally in classes, Mm -hmm. like this is how you write a grant application. So it worked out well, and I've got to grow a lot with the organization. We've expanded a ton in the four years that I've been there, only because we've had such a new sum of migration in the US following the pandemic. Because when I started, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So everything was actually moving quite slowly at that time because the borders were closed. So we didn't have a lot of new clients coming in. So that gave me a lot of time to adjust. And then when the borders reopened, um, we had a pretty big surge of work that we had to start doing. 
Um, and luckily we were ready for it and we've been growing along with the with the need as the need grows. Right. Um, but that's how I got involved there. So I had my eyes on the organization <laughs> for a while. And then when something opened up, I jumped on it. Well, that's such a great story. Your your ambition is very admirable, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So could you tell us a bit more about your specific role as the grants manager? Yeah, absolutely. So really broadly, my job is to make sure that we have enough funds to keep the organization running. Um, as the grants manager, I oversee all of the different contracts that we have. They range from local government to state government to now even the federal government. They also include contracts that we have with private foundations and others, uh, other funding agencies. So most of my job is actually doing reporting more than it is applying for grants. Mm -hmm. um, but basically at work, I spend most of my days writing, either writing reports for the right. grants that we already have or writing applications for grants that we want to get. Mm -hmm. um, and I just have to make sure that we're ready if the state ever wants to come audit us or if any funders want to come do a site visit. I also do a lot of data management, making sure mm -hmm. that we're intaking, we take demographic data, um, right. other data on the clients and the work that they need when they come to the ACA so that when I talk to our funders, I can let them know exactly what we've been doing. Right. Communicating with the people who give us money is another really important aspect of my job because I have to mm -hmm. clearly articulate what we're doing with the money that they're giving us. Of course, right. they want us to tell them why they should keep giving us money. Exactly. So I have to really paint a very clear picture for them um, and really emphasize how important the work we're doing is and how we're keeping up with it. Um, so just making sure that all of the money continues to flow, all the reports are getting done, people are getting paid. Um, so sometimes it's a lot of pressure, but yeah, it's important. Yeah, you're definitely juggling a lot at once in that role, it seems like. Um, so you talked a little bit about how one of the aspects is like applying for the grants. And you mentioned that there's a different different kinds of grants that you might be applying for. So I'm curious, is it a similar process for each type of grant that you apply for? Or is it like different depending on which area it's like being done for? Yeah, some grant applications are definitely more intense than mm -hmm. others. Um, sometimes it really surprises me just how much effort needs to get put into the application when it could very well end up being denied. Right. Um, it's also scary sometimes to put yourself out there with a grant for, you know, a funder that you've never met with before and try and sell your organization and see right. if they'll fund you. And it doesn't always work out. But I know as other grant writers um, that I've met with, we all kind of say the same thing that you have to try. And the worst anybody can say is no. Exactly. Um, so if yeah. you see a grant that you think might be a good fit, you usually just try and go for it as mm -hmm. long as you have the capacity to do the application. Mm -hmm. um, but some things that are pretty consistent across all applications include being able to really articulate what the organization is, mm -hmm. what it does, um, the programs that it manages, the services that it offers, mm -hmm. Um paint a picture of who the clientele are and what they need the most. Right. Um, and then usually also to explain the need that's being addressed. So what are you responding to in your community? What would happen if these services weren't to be offered or what would happen if you did not get this grant? Those are typical questions. And then 
um, preparing a budget to go along with every grant is a must. So mm -hmm. there's always a budgeting aspect, which was the hardest part for me to learn when I started yeah. the job because I don't know, I've always been more of like a reading, writing type of person yeah. rather than like a, a math type of person. Yeah. But I had to get used to it. So the budgeting class that's in our program was a little bit of a godsend because I had never prepared budgets before. Oh, yeah. And I took that class ahead of getting this role and I was really relieved to get some experience oh, yeah. using Excel and coming up with grant budgets. But it becomes a lot easier to write a grant for your organization the more that you do it. Mm -hmm. Because so often the questions are very similar. And if you've already right. responded to it once, you can usually answer it pretty quickly again, right. or even like build off what you've already written for mm -hmm. another grant. And that can make you a little bit more efficient, which is a good thing when you have a lot to juggle. Um, but yeah, the process is usually pretty similar when you're doing a grant um, from the government, from like the state government, local, but especially from the federal government. It's a lot trickier, a lot more information right. that you have to share. And then when you get the contract, if you're awarded the funding, a lot of stipulations, a lot of rules that you have right. to follow really carefully. Right. Yeah. There definitely is a lot more in the job than just the title would make you assume. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that actually makes me wonder what skill sets do you find yourself using the most in this position? Um, I think you need really good communication skills to manage grants. It yeah. might not seem like it, like you said, because when you write the application, that's pretty solitary, right? It's just right. sitting in front of a computer and, and typing and making a budget. But a lot of times, I'm thinking in particular, we have this grant here in the city of Binghamton. It's called the Community Development Block Grant. And part of the application process is not just the paper application. It's also a presentation to a board right. of stakeholders who... Um, who are considering how to dole out the money that they have available. So you have to not only write the application, but you have to go and they do it in the city council um, meeting room. So like where city right. council meets. So it's like a kind of intimidating room. Yeah. You go and you give a presentation and um, you have to really be able to communicate what your organization is doing and justify why they should give you the money. It's it's a different type of communication because you have to be very persuasive yeah. and you have to really, like even though I'm the grants manager and my role is mostly administrative and I don't work typically one-on-one -on -one with clients, I still need to know what those who are working with clients are up right. to and what challenges they're facing and the things that they're seeing so that I can appropriately ask for money right. in response to those things. So sometimes when I'm writing grant reports, my colleagues know I like go around to their offices and I ask them like, how is everything? What challenges mm -hmm. do you have right now? Any good mm -hmm. success stories recently that I should know about? Anything again that I should be able to communicate with our funders that they should right. need to know? Um, so it's a lot more communication than I think I thought it would be, but yeah. it's a skill that I have been building and, and try to keep drawing on. That's good. So to follow up, um, what courses from the Binghamton MPA program do you find were the most helpful for you in this current position? I know you brought up a couple of them as we've been talking so far. <laughs> yeah, like I said, budgeting was really, really important. And for any students who mm -hmm. are going to go into the field of public affairs who want to be public administrators, no matter the sector, if it's local governance, if it's nonprofits, mm -hmm. you have to know how to at least look at and understand a budget. Right. And even better, if you can make one yourself 
and know how to balance it and make sure that you are keeping whatever entity you're representing um, out of a deficit. It's really important. But other classes that really, really helped me were the classes that I took for the um, nonprofit management certificate. Yeah. So 551 Introduction to Nonprofit Management was a really important class to learn how a nonprofit works. And then mm-hmm. funny enough, I ended up teaching that class last semester. Yeah. <laughs> so that came pretty full circle uh, to take the <laughs> class to teaching it in the span of a few years. That was a really interesting experience for me. Yeah. And I think I even learned even more as I taught it while yeah. I was doing it, because sometimes it's things that, you know, like you intrinsically know, but like, you've never. Yeah. Verbalized. Right. Um, yeah. So teaching it, I was like, oh, this is how it works. I guess I've never said that out loud before. Yeah. That's how it normally <laughs> works. Um, but my favorite class and the class that definitely helped me the most was 552. Yeah. Um, that's the class that runs the party with the purpose mm-hmm. and gives out a grant to a local nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I loved that class because I got to see what making a grant and picking a winner looked like on right. the back end. And that's right. the only time I've ever had that experience because now I'm always asking for money. Right. That was the only time I was in the position to give money. Right. And it was such a great experience to understand what the people who hold the money were looking for, mm-hmm. what they wanted to see, what was the most tangible to ask for, what people really responded to. Yeah. And seeing that on the back end before getting this job and then knowing that now I apply for that grant for party with a purpose now, <laughs> which is funny. Um it, it was interesting to see how that thought process goes when you have a sum of money to give for many deserving organizations. Right. So there's right. always so many great applicants. There are so many great organizations in Broome County. Right. I know how competitive it is. So seeing what that looked like in that class was really fantastic and really mm-hmm. helped me in this role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me taking that class right now makes me very excited to hear how much you liked it. And I love taking 551 with you. So that was awesome. So you did great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, what would you say are some challenges that are unique to working in a nonprofit organization that you face? Yeah, something that I have always struggled with in an organization where you have to be dependent on others for your funding is how overhead is viewed and how operating expenses are viewed at a nonprofit yeah. organization. Because typically grant programs will exist to operate a program, but not so much to make sure that the organization that holds that program is sustainable. So right. sometimes it's difficult with funders and especially with donors in particular, like individual donors, to justify that what we maybe need the most is money for our utility bills right. or money to make sure that we can remove the snow in the parking lot rather than saying, you know, this money will go either directly into the hands of our clients or this money will go to run this program in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a challenge in the sector because it doesn't leave a lot of room for any type of innovation. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking in particular of how hard 
it's been recently for us to find funding to improve our marketing and our outreach and, and how we advertise the work that we do. We have so many great ideas. We want to be on billboards. We want to be on the radio. Right. But those outlets to advertise on are expensive. And it's really uncommon for grants to give you a budget line that lets you do something creative and right. rebrand and advertise and try something different because risk is really, nonprofits have to be really risk adverse. You try to avoid anything risky because if you do something risky, maybe your funders would be unhappy if it doesn't work out or other community stakeholders will be Mm -hmm. unhappy that it doesn't work out. Right. And nonprofits aren't, they're not, they're privately operated, but they don't pay taxes. So they are kind of considered part of the public sphere, which right. means they're also open to any public scrutiny. So right. if a nonprofit does something or tries something new that maybe is unpopular, mm-hmm. um, you'll hear about it from anybody on you know, right. Facebook or maybe whoever right. you're talking to. <laughs> um, so it's hard to not have a ton of room for innovation in nonprofits, yeah. especially for smaller ones. Yeah. Um, there's really never an opportunity to try something really out of the box right. unless you've sold someone on it and they're willing to fund it. Right. Right. Yeah. Those are all really good points. Um, kind of on a similar note, and you kind of touched on maybe some of these things, but what are some common misconceptions that you think people have either about your organization or just nonprofits in general? Well, one thing that's really unique to the ACA is that we're really subject to what's going on in the political world and Mm -hmm. policy changes. And that makes our job a little bit difficult sometimes because immigration laws and policies fluctuate constantly. Right. We actually usually have one of our interns have the responsibility of weekly going and checking to see if any major policies have changed that we need to know about. Right. One example in particular is that um, DACA, which is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, this mm-hmm. is an application that people can fill out if they came to the country without authorization when they were a child. So if they were under 16 years old, and they maybe did cross the border and they didn't have uh, permission to do so, they Mm -hmm. can get this status because they were a child when that happened. Mm -hmm. And that jurisdiction has been in and out of court constantly. And currently it's illegal to file a a new application for somebody to get DACA. But filling out DACA applications used to be a service we offered. It was on our website. It was something we said we did. And then when this new court ruling came out, this was just in September, we had to stop doing one of our services. So we're really subject to what is going on uh, to entities outside of ourselves, And that's pretty unique to the ACA. I'm not sure if many other organizations feel like that's a problem they face as well. Um, And then I think another misconception that people might have about nonprofits in general is what their purposes are. Right. Because the purpose of a 501c3 is to do charitable work and to help the public. That's why they don't pay taxes. That's the reason why they don't pay taxes. But I think we forget how many organizations are considered nonprofits. Right. Maybe not the charitable ones, but all religious organizations and churches, those are nonprofits. Many universities and academic institutions are nonprofits. So there are many, and hospitals too, many organizations that exist that don't pay taxes 
because they're serving the public or they right. have another tax exempt purpose. Um, but I think people don't realize just how many organizations around us that you interact right. with regularly are nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all really good points that I, I definitely, I mean, even I getting my MPA and knowing I wanted to do a nonprofit certificate, there were so many of those like small little traps I didn't understand. And like, I didn't really understand like the the full definition of a nonprofit. And I kind of like kept that to myself because I didn't know if that was so silly. And then, you know, I found out that a lot of people didn't actually fully understand like the technical definition. So I feel like it's really easy to not understand that because there are so many different types with different purposes, yeah. which I won't talk all about, but <laughs> but I can understand yeah. why that happens. <laughs> um, what do you think are some difficult parts of your job at the ACA? The most difficult parts about my job are probably wanting to do things that we don't have money devoted to do. And this kind of goes back to what I said about nonprofits needing to avoid risks. And, right. um, you know, we operate at the hands of so many different entities. And something that's difficult in a nonprofit is to get discretionary funds. So money that's given to the organization for the organization to do with what they do best at, which is understand the needs of who they're serving and running their organization. So right. that money typically comes in from like a fundraising initiative, maybe from board donations. Um, very rarely does that come from grant funding to be able to have discretionary funds to do right. whatever you please with. I can think of one particular time when we really wanted to repaint the the main floor of the ACA. And it was just ready. It needed an update. Um, I don't think I said this yet, but the ACA has been an organization since 1939, mm -hmm. incorporated in 1958. And then we've been in the same building since 1964. Wow. So because the building is so old, it often needs yeah. <laughs> updates. It needs attention. Oh, yeah. We need to do a lot of things for it. And when we wanted to repaint at this time, it wasn't even that much money. I think it was we got quoted maybe like $4,000 to have it mm -hmm. professionally painted. And this was in like 2021 during the pandemic, things were a little tougher and we just did not have the funds to do so. And it can be right. so frustrating to know, like we are so restricted based on the money that right. comes in to what we're right. allowed to do. And that was frustrating. And that makes things difficult sometimes, especially because as our staff is growing, mm -hmm. they come to me a lot and they say, we should do this and we should try this. And um, they have so many great ideas and it's like, that's awesome. If we want to do that, we need to find a grant that would fund us being right. able to do that. Um, so sometimes that's hard to have to ask for all of the money that you're using right. to operate. Um, but it's just what comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess on a more positive note, what are some of your favorite parts of your job? Oh, I have a lot of favorite parts of my job. I think my favorite part is helping with those who are going through the naturalization process. So those mm -hmm. who are working to become citizens. Mm -hmm. So we help them at all stages of this. Again, we have on-site ESL classes. We fill out the applications for citizenship for people for free at the right. ACA. And we have free citizenship preparation classes that teach you how to pass the citizenship exam. Right. And my favorite part of the job is when people pass and then they come and they tell us and yeah. when you pass it sounds so cheesy but they really do give you a little american flag when you pass and they give you uh, a certificate yeah. and it's so exciting because they usually want to come and tell their caseworkers when they've passed mm -hmm. the exam 
So we've had people come in and bring food and cakes and balloons, and they're so excited. And the ACA, we serve such a diverse group of people. I mean, we serve immigrants from quite literally all over the world. And so many of them want to show their appreciation to us and the work that we do with food. So I know it's common for a lot of workplaces to like, I don't know, there's like, for some reason, always like donuts and food around. But at the (laughs) ACA in particular, there's always really good food just kind of like permanently around. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. That's that's so wonderful. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about that, but do you have like any specific rewarding experiences or moments that you'd want to share with us? Um, I remember the first time I got a pretty big grant and it again was, it was a, an initiative that we wanted to pursue, but again, would not have been possible without a grant to do so. So the ACA, the outside of the building, like mm-hmm. I said, it's been there since 1964. It's a little like industrial looking. It was a little bit intimidating looking right. from the outside. And a lot of people thought that the ACA was a government entity of some sort like they thought it was a government building and it's not it's a fun multicultural center helping immigrants um and so something that we wanted to do was get new signage outside to make it more obvious what the building is and we wanted one of those led um like little billboards to go out in the lawn and we thought it was a great idea we were going to put multiple languages on it so when people drove by they knew what we were up to mm-hmm. um and that was in the first year of working at the ACA that I finally found a grant that would fund it and we do still right. have that sign outside oh. um and I think about it a lot cuz that was like the first big win right. um for like a new project a new thing that we were going to do it wasn't just sustaining for the person who had my job for before me and keeping up yeah. with what they were doing that was like the first thing that I kind of did mm. and that was really great yeah that's that's wonderful I have to I, I drive by the ACA sometimes I'm going to keep an eye out for it <laughs> oh good <laughs> um so my next question is how do you prevent burnout in this field of work that's a great question a lot of times I think people work for nonprofits because they quite literally just really care about the mission of the organization and to them going to work should be something that feels meaningful. Maybe even if the organization isn't where they could be earning the most amount of money for the skills that they have and for the expertise that they have. And that makes people really susceptible to burnout. Mm -hmm. And I think nonprofit workers are especially vulnerable because we so often serve populations that are traumatized and have been through a lot at the ACA in particular. We serve people who have come to seek asylum. We serve refugees. We serve people who have really intense stories and dealing with that emotional um, kind of labor at work. I think in addition to just, I think people who work at nonprofits are so used to just wearing a lot of hats at once Mm. because you are managing your resources so tightly And sometimes there's not a person for every job and somebody else has to step up. Um, And in those moments, I think it's important to remember that rest is also productive and that you do need it to do your job well. And I'll say like our supervisors at work, our leadership team really recognizes this. They try and enforce that everybody like goes and gets some fresh air on their lunch Mm -hmm. break, maybe takes a walk. 
maybe tries to not eat in front of their computer screen. Right. <laughs> um, even though, even, even though that's usually how I rest, I like go from the bad screen of my computer screen to like the good screen of my phone screen. <laughs> um, but preventing burnout really is hard, but I actually think that in the, in the four years I've been working, um, in a nonprofit, I've seen more and more trainings pop up about, mm -hmm you know, doing trauma-informed care, taking yeah. care of yourself when you work in these settings and organizations like the New York Council of Nonprofit and other organizations that exist to support nonprofits are talking about it more. I think I've gotten a lot of emails of like free webinars that exist. Yeah. And I think more resources are starting to come out um, as people are starting to pay more and more attention to mental health and how important it is. Yeah. But I think it's still something that the nonprofit sector really struggles with just because there's so much work to do oh, yeah. and usually really passionate people who want to do it. And then, you know, sometimes you can just do too much. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you that I think there's been more of it. I spent a couple semesters interning at the crime victims assistance center. And so oh, I'd okay. sit on like all types of meetings with them. And a lot of times in their staff meetings, um, their CEO would like have, different like things that they'd be bringing up like about how the employees could take care of themselves and the ways that they could support them and I know even like when I just like first started just to be a volunteer for them like at their trainings they had like coloring book pages and things like that just if people needed it just to de-stress which I thought was a really nice thing just to like normalize like right away like it it it's, makes sense that you're gonna like you're gonna have big emotions when you're dealing with that those traumatizing subjects like that's it's inevitable so I think yeah I think it's obviously not going to ever be something that's just not part of like the nonprofit sector, as you said, because you're dealing with so many people who've gone through a lot, but therefore I think making the normal atmosphere kind of accommodate to the fact that you need a break and you need to be able to like have a breather, I think definitely does help with that. So yeah, it's so yeah. important because if you want to keep doing the good work that you're doing and serving yeah. these people, you have to be at your best too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my final question for you today is what advice would you give to any current students in the MPA program? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I would say to really get to know the organizations around us here in Binghamton, I think especially for MPA students who aren't from the area, which I think is a lot of students. I think a lot of students yeah. are doing the four plus one and typically they come to Binghamton from a different area mm -hmm. and aren't familiar with what we have going on in Binghamton. Mm -hmm. But I would say to really familiarize yourself with the area and what's unique to Broome County, um, because once you learn how to understand the area you're in now, you'll be able to do it again later. And right. I didn't do this when I started the MPA program. And when I took the research methods class, we yeah. did our community learning project with the Broome County Health Department. And when we were learning about some of the unique struggles in Broome County, it was a total shock to me. I didn't know about, um, at that time, we had just gotten over an opioid epidemic in Broome County. Right. Uh, I didn't understand how rural the area really was outside of Binghamton. And learning how to assess the needs of your region is a skill that'll be apl applicable again yeah. in another role, be knowing yeah. what to look for, um, looking for um, assessments of the region. Right. Those often come from health departments, looking from any other needs reports for the area, 
Um, and so I would say start now while you're here and then learn what to look for, for wherever you go next. Well, that is really good advice. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for talking to us all today. Um, I really appreciated getting to learn more about your job. It definitely is more than what I expected would be in the role of the title grants manager. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.